timatbigwoods.org. I'll just make it very easy for you this morning. Genesis chapter 2, as we return to our series in the book of Genesis, we look specifically at what I refer to in my message coming directly from Scripture, she shall be called woman. I want to welcome every single one of you. What a delight it has already been to hear your voices lifted up in praise and thanksgiving and adoration to the Lord who is perfect and the Lord who loves us perfectly. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we dive into our text this morning? Father, we love you and we we gather together as your children and we want to recognize the fact that we are in awe. We are amazed of you. We thank you, Lord, for your design. We thank you for your plan and for your purpose for each one of us. And I thank you, Lord, that as we, Lord, in, in the depths of our heart, very easily veer off from your perfect plan and purpose, I would pray, Lord, that we would recognize the ministry of the Holy Spirit, even present right now, and the power of your word. Lord, please help me as I speak. May you be glorified in every word. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. I want to begin reading first off Genesis chapter 2. We're actually going to begin just a couple verses down from where it says in your bulletin. We'll begin in verse 21. I read some of this last week as well. And we'll read down through the end of chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, 21 through 25, as our text this morning. The word of the Lord. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. The word of the Lord. If we were to consider, if you think, if you recall the great hand of God at work throughout the pages of Scripture, it's not only here in this particular text, but it's also when God made a covenant with Abraham, when, if you remember, he passes through the sacrifice as a, as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, It's recorded in Genesis chapter 15, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And again, if you consider the work of God in Jonah's life, 
The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. The sailors were afraid. Each cried out to their God. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Gerhard von Rad, a prominent German Old Testament scholar, says this, and I quote, God's miraculous creating permits no one watching. Man cannot perceive God in the act, cannot observe his miracles in their genesis, in their beginning. So he can revere God's creative activity only as it actually was accomplished as fact, unquote. Now, now obviously, the covenant of God offering salvation either through a sacrifice in Abraham's case or from a storm in Jonah's case is wonderful. But it's wonderful. It's all wonderful because of whose love is being offered. It's wonderful because of whose love. It's his perfect love. It's his great grace. It's his abounding mercy that is being directed toward us as imperfect man and woman. We have already, so far in our study, briefly considered what? In the image of God, he created them what? Peas and carrots, male and female. And we've looked briefly at the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Today, as we consider this creation story, the narrative, we will look at and consider the creation of the counterpart to man, woman. As I read to you earlier, while he slept, it's a guy thing, I think. He, God, took one of his ribs, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a Woman. A couple of very quick observations, even before we dive into this. Keeping within what we do here at Big Woods, a literal interpretive framework, as we have sought to consistently do, the rib that is mentioned here is not metaphorical. It's a literal rib. And yet, regardless of what you may have heard, no, men do not have one less rib than a woman does. So, how did this happen? I do not know. We do not know. And the only witness, apart from God himself, was sound asleep. Typical guy thing. Now, now notes, unlike everything else in creation, this is not, in, in these last little bits and pieces, this is not God creating ex nihilo. Okay, remember, man was, that, that's nothing. Everything else in creation was out of nothing, just the spoken word. Man was from the dust. Woman is from the bone, from the rib. This is woman that is made from, in a sense, what? The same stuff, the same bone, the same flesh, the same DNA. And far more importantly, she is the first one to be created from a living being, Adam. Perfectly shares the image of God. Thus the basis as we begin about what biblical womanhood of her equality. And I'm sure you've all heard this before. 
If you have ever attended a Christian wedding, Puritan Matthew Henry coined what? This well-known quote, Eve was not made out of Adam's head to top him, nor of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. End quote. Then what? Then, then what happened here? The final few words in verse 22 tell us so much. It was the Lord God himself, and I love this phrase, who brought her to the man. God himself. Again, it was Von Rad who said this. God himself, like a father of the bride, leads the woman to the man. I was reading of a dad who admitted Many of you dads have been there. How difficult it was for him walking his daughter down the aisle at her wedding. And the dad said, he goes, I, I love the man that my daughter was married. And I was very happy to receive him as my own son. But still, he said, when I placed my daughter's hand in his hand, there was this feeling I couldn't get over. That I was taking this rare Stradivarius violin and placing it into the hands of a gorilla. It's quite evident. There's something about a woman that is unique, that is beautiful, that is valuable, that is gifted, that is a gift and yet what in today's world there is such confusion and 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 disarray and i would say even debate surrounding womanhood today thus my goal is that we dedicate our time together this morning to look into the word of god to to listen to what is written there and, and Lord willing, learn of God's perfect plan and purpose for the creating of woman. Who, as scripture describes what? We looked at this last week. A helper that is fit for him. First Peter, Ephesians chapter 5, gives great instruction for wives. Proverbs chapter 31 offers wonderful wisdom for women. Esther and Deborah and Mary and Phoebe and Lydia and the list is long are great examples of women. But I, I want to expand this morning intentionally to a wider angle. Not necessarily about what a woman does, but who a woman is. Who a woman is. Katanji Brown Jackson had graduated magna cum laude from Harvard University, cum laude from Harvard Law School. She had been on the U.S. District Court for District of Columbia serving from 2013 to 2021. President Biden nominated her as an associate justice of the U.S. Supreme Court in 2022. The American Bar Association says this, and I quote, that Jackson readily meets our well-qualified rating. And yet on 
March the 22nd, 2022, KBJ, as she is now affectionately referred to, appeared before the Senate Judiciary Committee, and it was during the confirmation hearing that Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee asked the Supreme Court nominee, and you've heard this all before, quote, can you please define the word woman? I can't, Jackson replied. You, you can't, Blackburn said. No, not in this context. I am not a biologist, Jackson said. Senator Blackburn again asked, the meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Of course, we know the Tennessee Republicans' line of questioning hit on every political hot-button issue from critical race theory to teaching children about gender identity in schools to Leah Thomas, a transgender swimmer on the University of Pennsylvania's women's swim team. Jackson said that her role as a judge would be to address disputes about a definition and to interpret the law. The fact that you can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about, Blackburn said. Now, now, if all of that is not confusing enough, scientists, gender law scholars, and philosophers of biology said that Jackson's response was commendable and even, quote, useful. I didn't want to see this question punted to biology as if science can offer a simple definitive answer, said Rebecca Jordan-Young, a scientist and gender studies scholar at Bernard College whose work explores relationships between science and social hierarchies of gender and sexuality. I don't want to punt this to biology. I know that's a, a long quote and, and much dialogue there, but I think, I think we could easily just kind of step back and say, whoa, wait a minute, what, like, what is this? Like, what, what in the world is this? What is going on here? We didn't grow up with this when we were kids. Rather than succumbing to cultural or societal influences, by, by ever believing even for a second that a woman cannot be defined, thus what happens is that we leave the door open to destructive worldview. A destructive worldview of self-identifying anything goes. Non-binary, transgendered confusion. I believe what we need to do as we are officially introduced to woman right here, specifically Eve, for the first time in Scripture, it is a fitting moment. It's a perfect time perfect time to consider what I call biblical womanhood. Now some people automatically hear that phrase. Let me tell you what biblical womanhood is not. To be clear, biblical womanhood is not, as Beth Allison Barr's popular book, The Making of Biblical Womanhood, how the subjugation of women became gospel truth, writes this, and I quote, Biblical womanhood is nothing other than Christian patriarchy. And the only reason it continues to flourish is because women and men blindly continue to support it. For too long, Barr argues, the system of Christian patriarchy has placed power in the hands of men and taken power out of the hands 
of women. It has taught men that women rank lower than they do. It has taught women that their voices are worth less than the voices of men. Unquote. Okay, that's, that's what biblical womanhood is not. Okay? Now that may be, sadly, that may be historical. Because we certainly have seen that. But it is not biblical. Biblical womanhood, what? It's, it's an understanding, first and foremost, of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. That each person is created in the image of God. Equal in the sight of God. And yet there are distinct Roles that God has given first to a man and then to a woman. Now we know that the Lord God is what? All-knowing. We know that he is all-powerful, sovereign creator, whom we have already witnessed throughout the Genesis narrative, is a God of order. He's a God of purpose, and he is a God of perfection. He has a detailed plan. And yet, if I were to consider even at this room, at this level, I don't think it's only the world and the progressive ideologues that seem to be confused about who a woman is. It seems, it seems that the very life of a woman today can be so rushed. The life of a woman today can be so Hectic, being pulled in so many different directions with so many expe expectations that are placed upon them. From school to work to home. From the classroom to the boardroom to the bedroom. From marriage to parenting. Now whether or not it's so-called social norms that are either directly felt or passively implied, it's, it's pressuring women and, and, and girls, what? On academic expectations, on athletic prowess, in unreal body image, perceived social status, and it is endless and it is exhausting that women and girls feel what? You, you, must, you, must, you must talk like this, you must get straight A's, you got to look a certain way. You got to dress a certain way. You got to act and behave and pretend and conform so much so that it's almost impossible for a woman even to figure out who, who am I? Why, why am I here? What am I to do with my life? How do I survive this? And this is especially challenging and especially relevant because what? Because what's happening? Who's watching? There's little girls that are watching and are wondering and are listening to everything. And you know what they're doing? They are asking the exact same excellent question. Who am I? Why am I here? Therefore, we must begin with every single woman, every single little girl. Regardless of the, what the world tells you, if there is what, 2X chromosome, if the doctor looked at you, pretty obvious, and writes female, we have to begin 
Every single woman needs to hear this. So it, it doesn't really matter right now if you're in kindergarten or if you're in grad school. It doesn't matter if you are a single mother or a grandmother. If you're a newlywed or you've never been married. It doesn't matter if you're a girl who rides dirt bikes or a girl who plays with baby dolls. If you're a professional stay-at-home mom or a CEO of their own company. It doesn't matter. As my brother and I were talking and we got to laughing together this week. If you're like our grandmother who lives in a row house in northeast Philadelphia, huge Phillies fan. When we knocked on her door one day, came to the door in red sweatpants and white high heels. It doesn't matter if you're like our granddaughter who wears a pink sequin princess dress with a sparkling tiara and barn boots as she rides her tricycle. It doesn't matter if you're young or old or tall or short or rich or poor, black, white, brown, and the list goes on and on. None of that. What matters is this, is that you know this. Number one, we get to our first point. You were planned and created in the image of an infinite and loving God. That's what you have to know first and foremost. You are planned and created in the image of an infinite and loving God. You hear the word plan. And our plans are like, we make plans. We might have maybe something going on about as far as what we're having for lunch today. Okay, but apart, apart from that, like our plans, like, like our plans are not like God's plans. Our plans are pretty sketchy. They're pretty, we have a plan. We, we plan to a point, but it's very, very limited. A, a pastor I know actually passes the church not too far from here. He and his wife have seven children. And their plan was to have seven children until she found out that she's now expecting triplets. Yeah, we have a plan, <laughs> but that's not like God's plan, okay? It's not so. Everything, everything, every tiny little freckle, every fingerprint, every eyelash before the foundations of the earth were set. God, God was forming you and making you. I know a couple weeks ago I, I touched on, and, and you, could, you could spend just months on the one subject, I, I touched so briefly in kind of the 30,000 foot view on the Imago Day, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. We are created in and we bear the very image of God so that we can reflect the very likeness of God. And, and, and the response is like, I, I get it, the image of God created in his image. There's a sense of eternality in our own souls, and, and that's like. And, and God is holy, so we, we're, we're, we're trying to be like maybe a little bit. Like. But what happens when we think about the amount is that it, it quickly like falls apart. 
Because it's, it's almost beyond what we are able with our, able with our finite minds to comprehend the, the infinite understanding of the image of God. So, so, so women say, and I would say, hey, men, we're in this conversation here too. Need to reflect on God and have faith in the word of God. And therefore trust that God does not make mistakes so what happens in times of like wondering i don't feel very valued i don't feel beautiful as as god has created me and i don't feel like i'm fulfilling what i should be where we primarily go in scripture and we generally kind of point the direction we kind of shoot the arrow this way and we take people to psalm 139 it says what i praise you i am fearfully and wonderfully made that's a wonderful verse, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. But generally what happens is that people who are struggling with their own value, there's a couple responses that we hear. First one is generally this, I don't, I don't feel. A lot of emphasis on feeling. I don't feel like I'm wonderfully made. I just don't feel that. Another response is, is, and certainly legitimate on this one, is that there's individuals, there's women here amongst us and young girls who, who are saying, yeah, but I have been told over and over and over again, I've been told repeatedly that I'm a failure in life. People have said that. That, that, that I'm, I'm dumb, that I was wrong, that I, I'm worthless. Like People have heard those exact words. I've been told repeatedly you you're, you're just you're just hopeless there's no hope for you people have heard that another response and it's arguable is it is it worse it's it's as bad because there's there's people here today there's women there's there's girls that are here who have who have been shown and, and they have they have actually been treated like they are worthless. They have been subject to neglect. Some of you have been hurt and abused and, and, and mis, mistreated and maligned. So you hear this phrase, fearfully and wonderfully made. And I, yeah, I don't, I, don't, yeah, I don't feel like that. That's not what I've been told. That's not what I've been shown. Now, now, these things that, that people face, that, that women today face, are legitimate concerns as to why people either don't know or they're what? Even worse, at a place that they, they don't even care. They don't even care that they bear God's image. If they don't care, if they don't know, then what? Then they, they don't know that they are worthy. That you as a young woman were created in God's image are valuable and beautiful and wonderful. How do we learn to reflect something that, that I don't even know what it is? What do we do with that? What do you may be thinking this morning, what do I do with that? As we just pause for a minute on, on Psalm 139, we always race to, I praise you, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. 
what I would suggest that we begin to learn this morning is that we focus less on the I am fearfully. I am wonderfully made. We focus actually less on the I part and we focus more on the, the one who created you part. Notice that, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Actually, the phrase before it says, I will praise you. And then after it, it's like bookends. It says what? Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. Perhaps what's happening is that people are, are losing the focus on the one who has created you. And you're turning all of the focus upon yourself. Let me, let, me, let me ask you a question. Think about this. Does what you feel, or, or does what some, someone say about you, or does what, what someone does to you change or alter what actually is? That's, that's a clunky worded question. But just think. Does what you feel or what someone says or does to you change what is? I hate morning. Sorry. I think I've been pretty clear. Four o'clock. Four o'clock on Thursday morning. I've been wrestling like, whoa, like this is a big subject. It's hard. Four o'clock on, on Thursday morning, I woke up with this one phrase in my mind. Can the leopard change his spots? Where does that come from? And, and it's what? It's this idea. It's this verse in Jeremiah chapter 13. And it begins with, can, can, can a man change the color of his skin? Can a leper change his spots? No. The answer is no. And so I, I, I got up earlier. Oh my goodness, I love you guys. I only did it for you, okay? And I began to look in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 45 says, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. Or, or watch out for the person who argues with their creator. Does the clay say to him who has formed it, what are you making? Why do I have no handles? Do, does the clay argue with the pot? No. Exodus chapter 4 verse 11. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute? Or deaf? Or seeing? Or blind? Is it not I the Lord? I love this, and he's telling Moses, now go, I'll, I'll be your mouth, and I'll teach you what to say. There's such comfort to that. John chapter 9, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Like, who, who, somebody did something wrong here. Jesus answered him. He said, it wasn't this man who sinned, nor his parents. It says, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Even in his blindness, every freckle, every fingerprint, every eyelash. That the works of God might be displayed 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, what, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast 
all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, why, why would I read those verses? To purposely remind you, women that are here, little girls and, and men who are amongst us to purposely remind every single one that your value, regardless of what someone has said about you, regardless of what someone has done to you, that your value is not based on how you feel, what you've been told, or what people have done. Your value is based in the fact that God created you precisely how he wanted to create you. And there's something there's something amazing to that very truth. So, so you do realize what? On the adverse, do you realize that every single time that you long for and you wish for and you pine what? If I could only be a little taller, a little thinner, a little richer, a little smarter. Every single time that you think that or you say to yourself, God was wrong. When he allowed this, you're actually attempting, you're attempting to deface the image of God, to diminish the glory and the sovereignty of God. And it is my responsibility as your shepherd to tell you upon the authority of the word of God, do not go there. Do not go there. Now notice as well what I'm also saying. I'm not saying don't, don't talk I'm not saying don't ask someone. I'm going to need guidance here. I'm not saying don't talk about it. Don't ask. Don't seek help. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that you can't stay there. You can't live there. So if you have suffered, as many I know have, please, please pull another woman alongside and ask them and talk to them. And other ladies, make yourself available to pray with, to weep with those who weep, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's why we need, we need to be together. Number one, you were planned and created in the image of an infinite and loving creator. Number two, your sense of contentment and peace will come from the Holy Spirit working within you not from expectations outside of you. In the next chapter, which we'll get there in a, in a couple weeks. I know, you just, like, did we just get to the end now? We're, we're going we're gonna to actually unpack. We had a good conversation this week in staff meeting. We're going to unpack the, 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 the depth and the width of the fall of mankind. But even as we prepare to get there, I, I want you even to, I want to point out something. So it's kind of leaning into it a little bit. We're kind of looking on the horizon. I want to point you to an interesting interaction that took place between Adam. Remember, Adam was created first, dust to the ground, breathing into him the breath of life. Who is the protector? Who is what? He is God's design to, to lead Interaction between Adam and God. And the interaction takes place after we know that 
Eve has been tempted by the serpent. And what does the serpent do? He what? Cast doubts on the words and the truth of God. That's not what God said. And we, we know the story. We know the scenario there. The woman saw the tree was good for food. It was a delight to her eyes that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So it says that she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. And, and we know the result. And we'll unpack that. Their eyes were open and there was shame and humiliation. And they hid themselves. And there's the consequence of disobedience. The consequence of sin. But now we're at the conversation I want to talk about. Following that, here's how it goes down. Genesis chapter 2, 12 and 13, it says this. But the Lord God called to the man, Adam, said to him, where, where are you? Adam says, I was afraid. I, I was naked. And I hid. And God said, who, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat? The man said, here it is, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree uh, and I ate. Let's, let's begin to shift blame here. <laughs> then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, it's the serpent that deceived me and I ate. What's happening here? There is what we know that it is, a, it is a whispered lie. It begins. We know that there is an enticing look. Now think about our society. Think about what we are now living in. A whispered lie, an enticing look. There's disobedience. And what happens is that there is an unfulfilled desire. That then turns what to chaos. It's blame. It's, it's his fault. No, no, no. It's her fault. No, it's not. It's, and, and bitterness. Why? Because it was all about what Eve wanted. It's all about what Adam wanted. The focus was entirely on themselves. Now, now today we live in the sense that People are just longing for something. They don't even know entirely what it is. But they're just hoping for and wishing for something, anything, anything more than what is. And what happens is that people are grabbing and they're chasing and it doesn't pan out. And what's, the, what's happening? It's their fault. It's not mine. And we shift blame. And we point fingers. There is no peace. There is no peace. And there is no contentment. With, with who God has created you to be. It's someone else's fault. What, what I would suggest is that we, we look at the fact that what we need to, what we need to know. No, K and O is we have to know that there is peace. And we have to know that there actually is contentment. A, a, a settled peace, a contentment in your life comes from one place, 
It comes from one person. John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, but the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he, he will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace. I leave with you and my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, now the reason that we jump automatically where we go in here in John chapter 14 is what in one phrase it says, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. What's happening here? What is on full display here? The power of what? The triune God. And it's important because the Holy Spirit will, it will, will be the one who directs you. The Holy Spirit is the one who will guide you away from yourself. I am amazingly, wonderfully, and fearfully, and beautifully. I, the Holy Spirit, takes you away from that to focus, to have awe on the wonderful one who made you. Christine Thornton, Dr. Thornton, Ph.D. from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. She's the associate director of Ph.D. studies. This, this gal is brilliant. Has, I think, one of the most concise and helpful definitions of the ministry of the, of the, of the Trinity. She, she writes, Dr. Thornton writes, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is eternally, internally triune. And when he acts outside himself, he acts in a way that is consistent to his being from the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here it is, the Father sent the Son, who through what we know, his death, burial, and resurrection, made a way for the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Fact. Where, where are you today looking for your contentment in life. Because many are like, yeah, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't want this. This is not what I planned. I have a plan for my life, and it doesn't look like this. Where, where are you looking for peace in your life and joy in your life, for purpose in your life? If only I were more, and just kind of fill in the blank. That, that's what happens. If only, if only I had just a little, if only... No, 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 no. That is not going to fill you. That is not going to fulfill you. Rather what happens, and I propose that we need a renewed awareness of being struck with what I call a reverential awe of the one, the one who, who, who created you, died for you, and now fills you what we need today more than ever before and we can begin with the women and the little girls and it expands to every single purpose person we need an increased fear of god i left you a quote our primary problem as christian women is not that we lack self-worth not that we lack a sense of significance or purpose it's that we lack all all helps us worry less about self-worth by turning our eyes first toward God, then toward others. It also helps establish our self-worth in the best possible way we understand both by our insignificance within creation and our significance to our creator. 
and ladies and little girls, young and old, regardless of what you hear or read about womanhood today, please consider and be greatly encouraged. I'm going to give you these things and you can write them down. Be encouraged by the truth of God that says what? A, he delights in you. He delights in you. But what it says in his word in Psalm 47 is that he delights in those who fear him. He delights in those who have an awe of him. Which means God is not delighting in you or your life right now if you live outside being what? In awe of the creator. Be encouraged with the fact that God himself, creator, savior, calls you friend. His friendship, though it says in Psalm 25, is for those who, what? Fear him. Again, on the adverse, if there's no fear of God, no wonder that God seems so distant from you. Thirdly, God offers you wisdom. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's that reverential awe again. You, you, you live and slop around in life complaining and fussing and fuming, angry at God that he allowed this, or pointing fingers at other people, and you wonder why God seems so foreign and so distant you've lost your fear of God. There's a sense of confusion. There's no wisdom. I have no idea where to go. Can you help me? Because I'm totally confused. I am a mess. It says that his goodness is stored up for those who fear him in Psalm chapter 31. God has a good plan for you. Notice that he does not say he has an easy plan for you. You talk to a young mama today chasing two, three little ones around. Exhaust it. No, no, God has something good. Regardless of where you're at in life. If only I had what? Uh, a spouse. And I'm just by myself in this life. If only if I had a husband or a wife, then, then I would be happy. Or if only I had a little one, then I would be happy. If only I had more little ones. If only I had more money. If only my husband was not so. Why is he always asleep? God sees you. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Psalm 33, verse 18. God sees every move, every morning you wake up. Finally, arguably the greatest God loves you. His steadfast love is for those who fear him, who have a reverential Oh, note that, that all of this is not being offered to those who are amazed with themselves. It's not being offered. All of this is not being offered to those who are amazed with themselves. Only to those who are amazed, who are in awe of their creator. In awe of your creator. May this morning be a reminder of who God has made you where God has placed you and the perfect plan and purpose that he has for you. Recognizing the fact that he loves us so much he offered his own son to suffer on our behalf. What a wonderful, wonderful reminder not to hear the lies of the world but to listen to the truth and to live in light of the truth of the word of God. Father, we just pray that your word and the spirit would continue to work and to resonate through our hearts and minds. We thank you, Lord, that your, your word is a lamp 
unto our feet and a light unto our path. Guide us, show us how we can continue to be faithful and obedient to you and your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.